So uh, if you didn't get the QR code before, here it is again. Um, so for you guys, uh, I have a confession. You're going to have a little bit of review uh, because last Sunday, like a quarter into my sermon, uh, somebody passed out on me. And uh, so I wasn't able to finish my sermon because we had to call the ER and, and everything, uh, 911. So there will be some review, but uh, there will be some uh, new content as well. So the first part of the sermon, just kind of bear with me, okay? Um, we're in Revelation. It's Jesus' revelation. Heads up. He's coming. That's what we talked about last week, and we're just going to review that a little bit. And then we're going to talk a lot more about how do we understand his message, Jesus' revelation. Revelation tends to be uh, a complicated book, or at least we think of it as a complicated book, and there are a lot of viewpoints. Um, definitely something we don't want to be dogmatic about, but there's a lot of viewpoints, and that's part of what contributes to all the confusion. So I hope that I will be able to bring some insight um, and bring some tools to your toolbox to make it a little less confusing. And if you ever have any questions, please feel free to ask, uh, either during my sermon or even after. Preferably after, but if it's really a boring question, you can ask me during. Revelations 1, 1 through 11 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which it's Jesus' revelation, so which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's a blessing to studying this book and to obeying this book, to applying it. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the th his throne and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him, even so. says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, your brother, and the partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the, the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. What island was he on? Patmos. And he was under persecution, wasn't he? He's on the island of Patmos according to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, 
to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Jesus' instructions were to write. Write them down. What are they to write? Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. This is John's instructions for writing. Write what he has seen, write what is, write what will be. And so here we have an outline for Revelation. This is the outline that I will be following because I think it's the outline that Jesus gives John. So write what was seen. What was seen, right? It's Jesus, the glorified Christ. What is? It's the seven churches, okay? And what will be? Jesus' judgment in the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, as the lamb who was slain. Okay, so we got Revelation 1, Revelations 2 and 3, and then Revelations 4 through 22. So this is the format that we'll be walking through as we go through this book. Now, this is where we're going to spend a little bit more time today because this is where I got cut off uh, last week. So uh, we're going to talk more about keys to understanding revelations. And for those of you who were here last week, you're going to remember that there were five keys. And we're just going to expand and talk a little bit more about these keys uh, than I did um, last Saturday. So first is to depend on the Holy Spirit. Second, understand the Old Testament context. Third, understand the original context. Fourth, understand the imagery and symbology in the context. And fifth, identify the lens you're bringing to the text. What glasses? How are you thinking? What's, what shaped your thinking? And what is shaping your thinking now? So let's go through these. So first, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the Holy Spirit leading us and teaching us, we do not understand the things of God. This is a relationship. So we must come to God in prayer and, and study the Word of God in prayer. It's not just purely an intellectual exercise. First, uh, John 16, 12 through 15 says, I still have many things to say to you. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, right? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the, that the Father is mine, therefore I say what, that he, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Got it? Got the point yet? The Holy Spirit teaches us what God wants us to know, and so we are independent upon the Holy Spirit. The second thing is understand the Old Testament. We need to understand the Old Testament, and revelation in the context of the Old Testament. John likes to quote the Old Testament in ways that no other New Testament author does. He likes to just take one word or two words from the Old Testament and, and from a bunch of different passages. It's like he takes the Old Testament and puts it in the blender and hits blend. Okay, so you get a lot of different spaces, and we're going to be spending a little bit of time on Sundays going through those uh, a lot of time on Wednesday, uh, sorting through those. Um, so we need to understand the Old Testament. Revelation has approximately 150 allusions 
and neocrotations of the Old Testament, a literary, a literary phenomenon called intertextuality. That means, well, it's so quoted and so uh, mixed up that it's almost hard to tell the, what the author was writing and what the author is quoting, okay? And so we need to know the Old Testament. That's why I did not preach Revelation until I preached through the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament so that we have at least somewhat of a working knowledge of the Old Testament. Secondly, oh, no, well, I don't know. This is third, I think. Thirdly, we need to understand the original context. What is life like? Where is it at? When is it written? Uh, what's the culture like? All those kinds of things. Original context. We don't want to input all context into the text. We want the con original context that shapes that meaning of the text to speak to us, then we bring that context and see how it applies to us. That's a process called contextualization. That's another big word. The author is, who's the author? Anybody know? John, that's right. John the Apostle is the author. Um, it's pretty definitive that that is the author. The two possible dates are early, AD 56 through 68, or 80, 95 to 96. I personally prefer the later date. Um, that's, I think the evidence is leaning that way. Um, but from scholars go with the early date. Um, and so either way, the situation is very similar. The church is under persecution. The lo uh, excuse me, the location definitely doesn't uh, change. It's written from the island of Patmos, which is on the coast of modern-day Turkey, okay? Um, it's to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, okay? And those churches make a route. So, like, the, 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 uh, if he travels in, like, a, a circular or a triangular motion, it's like he's going from this church to this church as he travels to read this letter and deliver this letter. They did not have mailmen back then. Did you know that? You couldn't just go down to the post office, buy a stamp, and send a letter off. If you wanted a letter to go somewhere, you had to get a friend or, or hire somebody to carry the letter from, from one place to the next. Did you know that? So, John is sending this letter out with a guy to read this letter at all seven churches, okay? Um, and if you want to read about those details, that's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. The culture is Asia Minor. It's one of gross immorality and idolatry. And, and thus, they're persecuting Christians because if you're not like us, we don't like you. And uh, how dare you insult our gods? And we're all in this together, so you better do what we do because we're trying to appease the gods. And now you're not appeasing the gods. Now the gods are going to get mad at us, that kind of thing. Uh, they don't have Judeo-Christian roots. So it is very, very sinful environment. No morality. And definitely not the worship of Yahweh. So if you want to read a really good article on the date of Revelation, you can scan this QR code and this article is really good. It, it does all the proof text. It's well-cited uh, for uh, the early church fathers. It's well-cited for 
the different documents. So I would encourage you to scan this QR code. Uh, you can read that article. Um, it is written from the bias for the later date. I'll just let you know that. Uh, but it does talk about the early date and why they think it's the later date. So uh, I can post that article, sure. Huh? Yeah, um, yeah, I can get that up. It's not up right now. This is, that would be, yeah. Okay, so we need to understand the imagery and symbology in the context. So first we need to ask, it's three questions basically. First, is there an explanation for the imagery and symbology in the immediate text? If you read Revelation chapter one, there's a lot of interesting uh, imagery going on there. And at the end of the chapter, he gives a, uh, clues or he gives answers for the lampstands and the, the seven angels, right? So those are two imageries he gives clues to within the immediate text. Now, the other stuff you got to kind of think about, but that, that, that brings us to a second question, like where's this white hair, where's this sash, where's these seven spirits before the throne? So if there's an excavation, if there is an explanation for the imagery and symbology in the whole Bible. So where's he quoting from? Where's he pulling this stuff from? You know what? John and Jesus, really, because Jesus is giving this revelation, is not pulling this stuff out of a hat. Okay? He's pulling this stuff from the Old Testament and intertestamental period, apocryph <coughs> apocryphal or end times type writings, that's where all this imagery is coming from. And oftentimes, that some of that imagery is being borrowed, which comes to the last, uh, is an explanation in the imagery and symbology in the cultural context. Okay, so like if you go down, and I've already said this, but if we went to the Oriental Museum uh, or Oriental Institute in Chicago, uh, at the University of Chicago, uh, we would see these uh, chimera-type creatures and they look and sound very much like the same kind of beasts that are in Daniel that you read about. And that's because Daniel is communicating uh, these beasts and, and these images in his time and his culture. And those were normal things, right? Uh, something semi-similar would be us and the elephant and the donkey or, or something like that. Elephant and the donkey obviously mean more than just an elephant and a donkey, depending on the context. Okay, so now uh, we need to identify the lenses you are bringing to the text. So ask yourself, what are my preconceptions? Uh, just coming into Revelation, maybe some of the preconception is, Revelation is too difficult to understand. I don't, I'm not going to get it. Well, that's a preconception. Does that make sense? Or maybe Revelation is a scary book, and there is scary things in Revelation, but maybe that's part of your prescription. Maybe you're just like, Revelation is just weird, right? I don't know. What's your preconceptions are coming into Revelation? Or maybe Revelation is about the end times. That's a preconception. Or Revelation is about the past, and it's been fulfilled. That's a preconception. Secondly, and this is why I'm going to spend a little more time today, uh, tonight, is what systems of th theology do I think in? And you're like, Pastor, don't talk about theology. 
Well, I tell you what, every single one of us do, do theology, whether we're intentional or not, we do. You can't help but do theology. Theology is the study of God, and it's the applying of what we know to God to life. That's what theology is. So you need to be able to identify what system of theology you think in. And, and I'm just going to talk about two broad camps of, of systematic theologies, um, and, and they have nuances. Um, but I'm just going to help to give you some framework. Why? Well, because these systems of theology affect how you view revelation. Okay? Um, and they affect even how, like, what authors and what uh, commentators and what speakers you tend to want to listen to on the radio or, or uh, on the TV or on the everything's podcast nowadays and, like, YouTube. So... So what system of theology do you think of? Those, those two uh, major systems or popular systems, one is covenant theology, theology or fed, uh, feudal theology. I like to call it, say covenant theology. And then the other is dispensational theology. And I, I'm more in the dispensational theology camp, okay? This is, this is where I was raised in. This is... Uh, well, I defaultly think this is my lens, and now I recognize that's a lens, and I can put on the covenant theology lens. Uh, it's a little awkward, but I can wear it. So uh, first off, let's just define covenant theology. So covenant theology is this. God has made three covenants as revealed in Scripture. Three covenants as revealed in Scripture. First, he made the covenant of works with humanity. Uh, that would be the Adamic covenant. Uh, Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. <laughs> eat of any tree you want, but not this tree. That's that first covenant, right? Second, he made a covenant of redemption. And that's a covenant with himself, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He covenanted with the Son and with the Spirit of, uh, as God to redeem humanity, okay? So, um, and we, we see that throughout Scripture, right? You see it right in Genesis with the pro-evangelicals, right? Uh, the, the killing of the animals, the, the where are you, right? So this covenant of redemption. And then third, he's made a covenant of grace with humanity. Grace, saved by grace through all time, okay? So that's covenant theology in a very brief nutshell. Um, I really don't disagree with any of those three things. I I, I probably end up begin to disagree with some of the outworking of some of those uh, uh, frameworks. And this is some of the outworking. So covenant theology, because they, they think of one covenant of grace for all time, what kind of some, what does happen with not all covenant theology does this, but many of them uh, just wrap the church and Israel into one identity, and they become the people of God, okay? So Israel is just superseded by the church. They also uh, go uh, with a more <coughs> uh, metaphorical interpretation when it comes to prophecy, okay? So Covenant theology does not emphasize the literal interpretation of prophecy, okay? 
and it is also known to combine Israel and the church into one entity, thus having a metaphorical interpretation of Christ's thousand-year reign, and it's known as amillennialism, meaning there is no millennium, or there's postmillennialism, which is very similar to amillennialism. They don't believe in a thousand-year reign. It's metaphorical. And there's reasons they do that. Um, but this is covenant theology. This is the conclusion that the majority of them come to. R.C. Sproul. You know R.C. He's a covenant theologian. Like R.C. John Piper. I like John Piper for the most part. He's a covenant theologian. Okay? Um, I think Alistair Begg. Covenant theologian. I could be wrong on that one, but pretty sure. If they're reformed, they're probably a covenant theologian. I, and this is, but they don't all exclude Israel. There are some that don't. So dispensational theology. This is the camp that I am. This is the lens that I'm most comfortable with. It's a theological system that attempts to understand the history of salvation as revealed in the Bible. Okay? A history of salvation as revealed in the Bible. So uh, it doesn't see God as giving the whole message of salvation all at once. It sees God as working out his plan progr progressively, a little bit at a time, right? And then in the fullness of time, it is revealed in who? It's always the right answer. What's there always the right answer, church? Jesus. It's revealed in Jesus, right? Um, so, and it's through successive periods or dispensations. That uh, comes from the Greek word okonia or okonio, and it's that household management idea. So you would have the age of innocence in the Garden of Eden, uh, human conscience fall to the flood, Human co uh, government flood to Abraham, and then the dispensation of law from, uh, <coughs> uh, like from Moses on to Christ. Right. So you you see these different dispensations. While the ultimate goal of restoring the kingdom of God remains singular, and the means of salvation remains, the means of salvation for dispensation great is grace by faith. So. Like the covenant theologians, we think that you're always saved by grace and through faith. But the terms of obedience and the way the works, God works with humanity differ in each dispensations, which the covenant theologians not quite the same on that. All right, this is long. I'm really sorry. Uh, dispensational is also commonly identified as a way of interpreting the scriptures. It emphasizes the literal interpretation of scripture, especially prophecy, unless the context dictates a metaphorical use. So we say, yes, Jesus is coming back in the way that he said he's coming back. It's not metaphorical. It's going to happen the way he said it is. Sometimes those metaphorical uses, like feet of bronze. Jesus is not walking around with big bronze boots on, right? Jesus doesn't literally have a tongue coming out that's a sword, right? Those are metaphorical uses to show Jesus' attributes. 
Theologically, it is noted for its commitment to the distinction of Israel from the church. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. They all come into the being God's people, but they remain distinct. The two separate entities within the plan of salvation. Though all them, all of them are saved by grace through faith, but God has a plan for the people of Israel. Because God's promises are yea and amen. And the promises made to Israel are fulfilled in the thousand-year reign of Christ. The literal thousand-year reign of Christ. This is known as the millennium. This is the only reason to have the millennium. is to fulfill the promises God made to Israel about the, mainly the land promises. Because those land promises have never been fulfilled to the people of Israel. And the covenant theologians, they don't know what to do with that. They just spiritualize them, you see. They make them metaphorical. And so I wrestle with that because I don't think that's a good answer, uh, personally, from my perspective. I respect all those guys immensely. And I'm not dogmatic about these things, but I do have convictions about them. So what are my systems of interpretation? So my, my systematic theology is going to inform my systems of interpretation. And there are uh, a few uh, prevalent systems of interpretation. So a preterist lens. A lot of covenant theologians are preterists. Meaning they believe that it's revelation, except for the second coming, has already been fulfilled. Okay, they choose the early date of Revelation because if they choose the later date, then <laughs> Revelation is heresy because he's writing it after the events happened. It's no longer a book of prophecy. So they argue and they, and they really try to get that, that early date. If they don't have the early date, in my opinion, they have no argument. And you can read that article and weigh through the things and decide for yourself. So this lens is that many of the events described in the book of Revelation took place during John's lifetime and thus provided a contemporary description of the events that the churches were facing. Typically, it's inherent told to an early date of the writing and thus see the events described as coming to pass during the turbulent reign of Nero. Although some see the fulfillment still taking place as late as the 5th century. This view is developed in the early 17th century and has enjoyed a resurgence of popularity in recent years. Okay? The historist lens. Now, this is looking at, uh, sees the events as described in the book as a panorama of history from the time of John until the present day. A significant weakness of this Position is the Eurocentric view of the church history as well as a constant need to reinterpret data in light of new developments. Uh, some people uh, that maybe we would recognize or groups, a Seventh-day Adventist like this <laughs> view. Um, this is not the, a, a really strong view uh, and a good interpretation lens, but this is what sometimes gets some of the confusion um, going on uh, because we're trying to fit it into 
uh, this panorama of history up to current day, and I don't think that it's even faithful to the text, okay? So this is the historist view. The idealist lens, which has very much truth to it, takes the details of the book as general description, as battle between good and evil as it continues to the present church age, there is little attempt to associate details of the book with any specific events of the past or the future. This uh, specializing approach s simply focuses on the triumph of Christ over the forces that oppose him and his kingdom. So in one sense, this is like, I'm not going to get into the weeds view, and I just think it's about Jesus winning. And, and there's nothing wrong with that view, but I think that it's lacking the punch that Jesus tries to bring to his revelation. Jesus is going to win. Amen? Amen. And, and, and that view really focuses on that. And if you want to know, like, uh, a, a lot of covenant theologians fall in that, that camp of view, uh, the Bible Project, which we've been doing on Wednesday night, um, would fall into this category. Um, by, I, I just say that because I've listened to their video on Revelation. All right, so there's the preterist future lens, also known as the eclectic, eclectic lens. It interpretates Revelation as being especially pertinent to John and his readers, while at the same time showing up how, showing how their first century setting has parallels with the future. Okay, so it's, it's both and. And there is a little bit of that. Obviously, it's written for John and his people, and it is for the future. But the futurist lens, while focusing on the purpose of the book for the original audience, which is to give them hope in persecution and to know that Jesus is coming back, still holds that chapters 4 through 22 will be fulfilled literally in the future. Thus, the details of these chapters will be worked out in real events yet to come. This is pretty much the camp that I sit in. Okay? I will discuss the other camps. I'm not dogmatic about it. But this is the camp, this is my prevalent lens. And I just ask yourself, what is your prevalent lens? Or do you even really have one? What books or movies <laughs> have formed my thoughts on Revelation? I think this is probably the done the most. You read the Left Behind series. Or, uh, I can't remember. Hal Lindsey's book. Um, I anyway. No, I just ran away. But if you read any of these books or watched different movies, right, on the rapture or on the end times. These things are in there rattling around and they're going to be forming thoughts, right? Some authors that really cover end times type stuff, Joe Rosenberg, Jerry Jenkins, Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, R.C. Sproul, Amir Safari. Now, I tend to be a futurist guy, so most of those guys that pop into my head are futurists. The only one that's not a futurist is R.C. Sproul up there. And he's a preterist. Just so you know, that's his lens. Turn to Revelations 22, 6 through 7. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants 
what should, must soon take place. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to the pla- him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. It's Jesus' revelation. Heads up. He is coming. He's coming. And we can understand his message. So come. Come and receive the water of life without cost. Come and receive Jesus. And receive what he is going to do. There's hope for the future. Because he is walking it all out for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we can understand, and I think, I just pray that you would just show us what lenses we wear on Revelation, and that, Holy Spirit, you would lead us, and that you would teach us in truth, and that we would understand what Jesus has for us in this book. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.